Welcome to Athletes on Balance, where we talk to athletes, coaches, and experts about mental health and sports. This is a stigma-free zone for inner thoughts and outer conversations. We're helping athletes and anyone with mental health challenges perform at their best on and off the field. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Athletes on Balance. I'm your host, Walt Norley, the founder and CEO of On Balance Health. Today, I'm joined by Kaylee Kurtz, a defender for the North Carolina Courage of the National Women's Soccer League. Kaylee has won two NWSL championships with the Courage both in 2018 and 2019. In 2023, she was nominated as a Defender of the Year and named to the league's best uh, 11 second team. Incredibly, uh, as incredibly, um, she just completed her second straight Iron Woman uh, season, which she played every minute for her club. That, that, that to me, is a blow away in itself. Um, she has also played professionally in Australia and Sweden. Uh, before going pro, Kaylee played collegiately at the University of Richmond and the final three years at uh, the University of South Carolina. Um, as we get going here, I've discussed this before on the podcast, the mental health world is... Uh, something that I have strong appreciation for and part of the drive of why I created uh, On Balance. Um, for four, more than four decades, I've managed a bipolar disorder along with building six companies and technology uh, relatively successful. I'm also a former student athlete and have a strong uh, relationship uh, within that world uh, as a former quarterback at both uh, Ohio State and Georgia. Um, my personal mission here is to improve uh, mental health care for collegiate athletes and uh, perhaps uh, professionally at some point. Um, and while I'm doing that, uh, reduce the stigma that's involved within the mental health world. So, Kaylee, thanks for joining and nice to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I also am very passionate about the mental health world, so I'm glad to be here. I know we we are simpatico in that world. Um, so this, no, I'm I'm happy that um, you've uh, you've agreed to join. So um, let, let's start out with uh, the college days. Um, you played Division One, as I mentioned, at both Richmond, and then most of your career, obviously, at uh, South Carolina. Um, as you look back at that experience, um, and, and obviously things evolve. But if you look backwards, uh, it's not terribly too long ago. Uh, what were some of the biggest stress points that you dealt with as a D1 student athlete? For me, I have a very high standard for myself. Um, making B's and C's were just like not okay for me. So I just always had a very high standard for my academics. Um, I wanted to get A's. I wanted to get 100 in everything that I did. But then also when I went from University of Richmond, especially to South Carolina, I went from playing every minute of every game uh, in club. I played almost every minute of every game to I sat the bench for a majority of my second year in college. That ended up being one of the hardest, biggest stressors for me that year. And I didn't handle it so well. I've had to learn a lot since and grow up a bit since. Can I, can I interrupt you for a second? What was the issue? I mean, what were you dealing with? The fact that you you weren't the star and you weren't the major contributor that you've always been throughout your soccer playing days? Yeah. Uh, to see what my role was on the team. Um, it was also a bit of an ego hit 
for no longer getting to play and, and be that contributor, like you said. Right. Um, you know, I'm a center back or an outside back, so I wouldn't say that my position is one that's super glorious or is in the limelight, really. So it wasn't as much wanting to be the center of attention or the star as much as feeling like I was contributing to the team. Right. And when I was sitting on the bench, I just didn't really feel fully a part of the team. Um, I had a lot of jealousy towards the person who was starting and I didn't handle it very well. I would behind her back anytime she messed up, I would say something snippety and um, it was creating a bit of a toxic environment. And luckily in a certain way, I had teammates who didn't want to be around that. And it was very poignant for me to notice that, okay, people don't want to hang around me. And this is because of the way that I'm acting off of the field and even on the field. So I'm not being the teammate that I need to be. And I'm whatever role that I actually am in, I'm not doing it well. And that's not how I like living my life. I like putting my whole heart and soul into everything I do and being the best at it, whether it's academics, whether it's being a teammate, whether it's knowing my role, being an iron woman. So, so that, so that was a point of stress and, and disappointment, right? Which created a, a persona that is not your norm and and but it sounds like the learning element of that was you saw what it was doing to the rest of your teammates and it was essentially uh alienated you with some of the the, the people that you wanted to play you, you want your friends and people that you wanted to play with right so I, I i gather you you got it together and you know talk about what happened after that and within that, when you started playing and you started doing the contribution that you're so uh, used to, um, did you go through other things as well, you know, your junior and senior year? I wouldn't say I really figured it out until the off season um, in my sophomore year. And it was just I had a meeting with the coaches at South Carolina and I talked to them about how I didn't know how they – I wanted to know how they saw me for the following year since the senior class was going to be leaving and the person playing over me was a senior. And it just struck me that they said, you know, you may not be a starter. You may not play every minute of every game. And I just remember going in and saying, you know, okay, well, if that's the case, then I'm at least going to do everything that I can to like make it hard for you or make make your decision your decision easy to keep me on the field so then that became my new focus and it was more like a turn of perspective that i wanted to have and it was okay well what are things that i can't control because ultimately i, I can't control all the time if i'm going to play all the time or the coach is going to pick me for the starting 11. i can make the decision easier for them by how i perform and how i am as a teammate but that doesn't always mean that my style fits the way that they want to play. Right. So you, so you, you understood little, that you started to understand that intellectually. Yeah. And, and I had a lot of help from my dad and I was seeing a sports psychologist at South Carolina. Um, and they were like, okay, it was always like control the controllables, control the controllables. Right. So it became like, write down what I'm having problems with and cross out what I can't control and then focus on what I can. What did you have available you know, both your sophomore year and then the, the, the other two years uh, to help you through uh, some of the issues you just mentioned? Sports, I've had a sports psychologist since I was 17. 
Um, and in college, I remember I had one and it wasn't the greatest fit for me. Um, and I remember feeling like I felt stuck almost with that person. And I didn't feel empowered enough to be able to say, you know, like this doesn't feel right. Or you might just be someone that's agreeing with everything I'm saying and you're not playing devil's advocate. And in a time where my ego's taking hits and I'm creating a toxic culture, sometimes I need that de devil's advocacy and I need someone to like flip the script back and right. point the mirror back at me. Right. Um, so eventually by my junior year i did switch um i had talked to somebody else who was seeing a sports psychologist on my team and they loved that person um so in the switch from sophomore year to junior year i made the switch as well but i felt kind of trapped with the sports psychologist i was seeing sophomore year i just didn't feel like it was the greatest fit so this this did. was not within the athletic department this this was, was. not it was. So you though the resource came from within the athletic department. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's so I guess that means that you felt that when you found that person that fit that the athletic department uh, and the soccer team in particular were taking care of your mental health needs and your psychological needs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um they did a great job at South Carolina of very beginning and early in the year they would say this is the resources we have. This is like we, if you're struggling because only 11 people can start. And that's something that was typically the hard turning point for a lot of players was when you go to a D1 program, you're used to playing every minute when you're right. in club right. to then a lot of people have to sit the bench. Right. And so they were very from the start saying, go see a sports psychologist. The staff has many um, our sports athletic department was called the Doty, and that was where students could study. We could get tutors. We could go see our sports psychologist, the nutritionist. That was where the athlete's food hall was. So it was like you always go to the Doty. <laughs> Whenever something was wrong, go to the Doty. <laughs> so you, that's good. That's, that's actually impressive to hear. So you felt like you had support and resources not only coming from the sports med crowd, but also I, I, that means to me you had it from your coaching, you know, the coaches as well. Yeah. I, I had a very good relationship with the coaches, especially junior and senior year when I got a little bit more comfortable after my first year being there. And so I always felt comfortable going into their office. If I did have a problem, um, sometimes it was like I came in hot and they were just like, Oh, it's okay. Like, you know, everyone's got problems. Take a breath, talk to me through it. You may not get the exact thing you want out of this conversation, but you know, if the intention is to maybe just get something off your chest, then they're there for it. So I think they did create a great environment of knowing and letting players know it's okay to go see a sports psychologist. A lot of people do like we have plenty on staff, go yeah. see them. It's free for student athletes. Like please utilize the resources that the university is giving us. Very, very fortunate. As you know, um, this is my business now. And, and I, I, you know, unfortunately I can't say that that's across the, uh, across the country and across the board. Um, it seems to be, you know, really much, very much a, a case by case, school by school thing. Um, you know, unfortunately, as you, you and I were speaking earlier, um, there's been, um, it just seems like it's increasing by the years and, and the pandemic obviously had a, a, a huge impact on 
um, where we are right now within collegiate athletics um, with mental health uh, and behavioral health that goes with that. And there's been far too many tragedies, right? Um, no, again, you had a good experience, but if, if you look back and you know the NIL has changed some dynamics, social media keeps increasing, you know, and, and maybe that just puts a, a further pressure uh, from within and maybe externally as well uh, for that student athlete to perform all the time, meet their academic standards that uh, with the with the kind of milestones and the mentality that you have, manage the social life on top of that as well. Um, what do you, is there anything you can, if in your opinion, that can be done to 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 enhance the overall well being mentally uh, for the student athlete? Um. I think preparation for life post your sport is something that, and luckily like I, well, I haven't had to deal with it yet because I'm still playing professionally, but I know that it's going to be a problem. I think athletes, especially at such a high level, we have so much of our identity wrapped into our sport and what we do. And that's why when you go from playing all the time to not playing, it's a struggle and it's something that causes you a lot of suffering because your ego takes a hit. Um, And so I think when you do decide to hang up the boots or, you know, the cleats, whatever, however you want to say it, it's something incredibly challenging. So having those tools in place for when we do finally retire from our sport, I think that's probably one of the biggest stressors that you don't think about until you're at that last game. So getting, getting ahead of that, right. Being (laughs) proactive. I mean, there's a lot of that's an education. I mean, you're, you're, you're referring to uh, the identity crisis that it's, as you know, it's very common, uh, especially Mm -hmm. for people that play at the the level that you played at D1 and and all the sports. And they've been identified as that, you know, very good, if not great soccer player from the time they were seven, eight years old, swimmer, track runner, you know, whatever your sport was. And all of a sudden it's over. And, you know, again, because of the nature of my business, um, you know, you know, a good program like you had at South Carolina, but being able to add into that, um, that transition that you're referring to so that when it's over and let's be honest, you're, you're part of that 1% and less group, right. That had an opportunity to go and it's going to, it's going to change for you as it does other professional athletes. And, you know, we, we both read about it, right? The athletes in every sport, male and female, they go through it after the professional. And the other 99% that played collegiately go through it before you did, right? The professional athletes. And, and there's, there, there are similarities to that. So education, right? Educating, talk yeah. about it, you know, going into their junior, senior year and, you know, the coping skills that they need to, to understand and, and how to manage that. And so mm-hmm. that I, that's a, that's a great idea. I think that, um, I have not seen that so far in my journey through, um, there, there's great, um, what I'd call acute mental health programs that a lot of the athletic departments have, and they have great process around it. Um, mm-hmm. and they're attentive, um, and they have good professionals kind of like what you had at South Carolina, but I have yet to run into where they're, they're getting proactive on the transition of that student athlete, you know? So, um, that's a great point. Um, yeah. let, let me get into something. If you, if you're comfortable, Kaylee talking about, um, you know, with, with me and the audience, um, 
what happened early in your professional uh, career and, you know, signs that, that, that you might have noticed that uh, made you realize that your coach was behaving inappropriately. Um, how did you handle that situation? How did you identify it? And then how did you handle it? Um, well, my first year at the North Carolina Courage was amazing. And we had that same coach. Um, I thought he was brilliant. He, I wasn't playing very much. Um, there were two national team center backs playing over me. And I got to learn so much from them, but he always kept me going. And, you know, um, when you're not playing your job or your role on the, the team is to prepare the starting 11. And it was very apparent in the professional level, more than the collegiate level, that that was your role. And you had to do a lot of selfless work, but he, he always recognized when we had selfless work to do. And then he always like appreciated us and made sure to tell us like, thank you guys so much for doing the selfless work. I know it's not fun. So my first year was amazing. It was great. We won the championship. Um, we lost one game the entire year. Like any, we broke all the records. It was a fantastic year. 2019, uh, it was the world cup year. So I knew that my center backs were going to be leaving, um, so I, I thought this was my chance I am going to get to be able to play more. This is my turn to, you know, get some experience in the league, get to practice, get better, whatever. Um, and right before the first game that I was going to play after, after the national team players left, my coach brought me to the side after training and he sat me down and he was like, so what's going on with you? And I was like, okay, what do you mean? And he asked me what I was eating. And I was like, okay, I, I don't really know where this is going. Um, and then he, he eventually said, like, KK, that's my nickname on, like, the soccer world now. So he was like, KK, you look undynamic. You um, look a little chubby. I can see the cellulite on your legs. You need to lose 14 pounds in 10 days healthily in order to be at the level to play here that we want. And the next game was coming up in 10 days wow. that I was going to be playing in. Um, and then he told me, you know, I'm only telling you this because I love you. And at first my initial reaction, I remember texting my dad was like, I feel like I'm, I'm in really good shape right now. Um, all off season, I worked really hard in the gym and I worked hard on running and making sure that I was fit for the next season. Cause I knew I was going to get more playing time with the world cup coming up. Um, so that just kind of put me through a tailspin. I was seeing a sports psychologist at the time as well. And that was just like through myself. Um, and I remember telling her, I can feel myself kind of slipping down this kind of slippery road. And I don't want to get an eating disorder. And I, I told her that like super early on, I can feel it kind of starting to like the relationship with food is turning a little bit and I just, you know, want to stay on top of it. But each day I could feel it just kind of like spiraling further and further down. Um, so that was like the first thing was just a coach that brought my legs specifically into it and made it no longer about the GPS units or the data that we have um, and we do, you know, we, we weigh ourselves in, in the beginning of season, 
We have GPS units in terms of how many sprints we're doing, meters we're covering in practice. How was I comparing to other players in the league and on my team? So your perform uh, your performance was was uh, was up at the top, right? It wasn't it, your performance numbers were very good. My GPS numbers were very good, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I. He, he then we did we do something called or we did something called the suicide mile and we did it in 2018 and we did it in 2019 and it's just you know continuous running on a suicide until you reach a mile and we did it on different fields so there could have been something like within the field dimensions whatever and he was like hey okay, you gained like 10 seconds from 2018 to 2019 and i was like okay so then i remember the next that was like on a friday and then we had the weekend of no games. So I kind of starved myself. And then that first gate or first day back into training, we ended up doing the suicide mile again. And I hadn't eaten anything for like two days and I felt just exhausted. I had no energy. Right. And that was, that, that was like the first time I started realizing that something was kind of going on. Um, and then as I started, like kept slipping, it was, little comments here and there that he would, he would start saying, um, little, uh, I don't know a lot about my, my legs. And then when I ended up meeting my boyfriend, he was always bringing him into the conversation and he was like, Oh, where's your boyfriend? Like, where is he? How is he doing? Like all these things. And it was always more than other players. And then there was also just weird text exchanges that were going on. Um, and for me, like I wanted to play and, I also remember after that season was over, I called our general manager and I was bawling on the phone and I told him, I, I can't be here anymore. I, I need to leave this club. Like I don't feel comfortable, comfortable around this man anymore. So I need to leave the courage. And he was like, sorry, your coach has already called. And he said, you can't go. And I, I, I was like, Bobby, I, I need to leave. <laughs> like there, There's no, it has nothing to do with playing time. I, I need to go for my mental health. And he's like, sorry, you're stuck. We have your rights. So I just felt trapped. Wow. Did, did you have any conversations with him? I mean, did anybody confront the coach? Um, no, all of our meetings, and this is just the way that things were run, was it was always one-on-one -on -one meetings with him. So we just never had someone else there to advocate for us. Um, when I did talk to the general manager, the first response was like, sorry, you know, nothing we can do about it. Coach wants you here. We, we, uh, Kaylee, were you seeing, did you go see somebody about this? I mean, were you seeing a counselor or you're still with the sports psychologist? Uh, I was with the sports psychologist. Yeah. And, and were you talking about this? Uh, to a certain extent, I talked a lot about my relationship with food and how that was changing and the relationship that I started having with my body and, um, I became very like, t like tuned in to the cellulite that I have. And I will say like, I'm a woman, I do have cellulite on my legs. Um, but every time I would look at them, that's all I could see. Right. And before that in college, I thought I was like hot. <laughs> I right, had right. no problems with my body. I thought I was probably way hotter than I really was. My confidence was way too high so it definitely got knocked down a couple of pegs but 
then it ended up being below the floorboards. <laughs> but but that's obviously um, it's a, you know it's an abusive situation, and you know, and you're getting that from somebody who's a coach and a leader. Um, you you ultimately started talking publicly about this. Um, so I guess initially you you kind of buried this, and 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 it it it, it was obviously detrimental to your mental well being. What what gave you the courage to start talking about it? Um, well, I, the first time I got one of the like weird, potentially flirty text messages from him, um, I showed it to a teammate and at the time we were winning and she was like, KK, put that away. Like we're winning, put that away. So that was when I started bottling it up and I didn't end up telling anybody else about it for a really long time. Then we had two incredibly brave former players come forward about this same coach saying how he was kind of grooming them. He came to their, like he asked them to come to um, their, his hotel room. And he, when he came to the door at the hotel room, he was just in nothing but his boxers or briefs. And then there was just so much other things going on that also kind of felt like it was starting to happen to me. So the day before this article came out that these two players had talked about um, with The Athletic, I we came together as a team and we were told that there was going to be an article coming out about our coach and that it was going to be bad. And we all needed to read it and then come to practice an hour early so we could discuss and figure out how we want to move forward. Um, and so I realized kind of the same similarities that they were going through that I was going through. And uh, I went into training and I hadn't told anybody except that one player that I showed the first text message to. And one of the girls came up to me and hugged me and said, like, I'm so sorry we didn't protect you. And so it was the first time I really felt validated in the sense that, okay, it wasn't just me or something that was going on in my head. Players who I wasn't talking to about it could see that it was also happening. Um, and then we were in the middle of our first ever CBA negotiations. And I had, like I said, in 2019, I asked at the end of the season to leave the team. And they were like, sorry, your rights are with the courage. You're stuck. There's nothing we can do. Right. Uh, I felt super empowered in the middle of our CBA negotiations to fight for free agency for players for the first time. Um, and I, that's when I told my story about how I felt uncomfortable. I felt stuck. I told them, I felt like I called my general manager bawling my eyes out saying it had nothing to do with playing time. I just needed to get away from this coach. I didn't feel comfortable around him. And they, it, it was like our first big win in terms of players getting free agency for the first time. So, um, just for, uh, everybody to understand, including myself, yeah. Modern day, because of that, with the CBA, um, if it happened today, would you have been, have been able to leave? Um, maybe. It depends. So you have to have, have, at the time, six years of service in the league, and your contract needs to be up. Um, and so last year, I just hit six years, but my contract's not up. So in two more years, when my contract's up, 
I will be a free agent and I will be able to leave the courage if I want to, and I'll be able to go to whatever club. Even though the circumstances were what you went through, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. So that obviously needs, that needs work. <laughs> right. Does still need work, say that needs but... work. Right. You're in a, sounds like, you know, uh, it's a, it's a toxic environment for you. And it was a toxic environment for some of your former teammates. Um, you know, we, 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 you know, on a broader scale, we, we, we hear about this all the time, you know, the suffering in silence. Um, since you have spoken publicly about this, and, um, and it's not easy, um, what, what is your advice to uh, other athletes, whether they're professional or they're collegiate athletes, about um, speaking about their issues, whether it's something similar to what you went through that led to the eating disorder stuff or it's something that goes with depression or panic attacks or, um, you know, substance, whatever it may be. What is your advice to, um, you know, what's your advice to yourself, uh, I guess, looking back on it? And that maybe expands into other people. Um, well, for me, I did feel empowered by speaking about it. Um, and I also like know my dad has been such an amazing influence on me in the fact that he told me what the name anxiety was when I was 16, 17, when I was going through the recruiting process and I was really struggling with it. And just to know that this thing that I had had a name and it was anxiety and I'm not the only person in the world that has heart palpitations right, and right. You know, I might have a panic attack. Right. So feel not alone. Um, felt really good. But then also now being the person that can help other people through things is kind of my MO and, and how I want people to view me um, once my career is kind of over was that they felt comfortable coming to me. I'm someone that they can come to with their problems, you know, to not feel alone in whatever situation they're going through. And, you know, maybe I haven't gone through something exactly the same, but someone else out there has and to feel not alone in your story is just like so empowering and also so helpful for other people. So that was my advice to myself to <laughs> give purpose to the pain. Well, I mean, you know, uh, this is for, you know, your, yourself and I could say myself and, uh, other people who've gone through trials and tribulations. Um, it sounds though that, you know, those challenges and the pain that you went through, also shaped you into a person right now that not only has been helpful for your capabilities to, to, to handle stress and to manage, you know, the life up and downs, whether it's on the field or off, um, um, you're also helping other people, right? It, it, you know, as you said, you use the word empowered. It's empowered you to go help other people. And I would assume by doing that, that's somewhat of a, you know, form of therapy for yourself. For sure. A little bit of an exposure therapy at first, but I've also come to realize the more that I talk about it, the easier it becomes to be able to speak about it and the less impact it has on me. So every single time I say it, it just gets easier and easier and easier. Um, well, I, th I really appreciate you talking about that. Um, you know, and I'm, 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 you should be proud of the fact that you're, you're comfortable in talking about it uh, because you know what you're talking about. Uh, any any thoughts on um, you know from your perspective what uh, professional organizations and college programs um, could be doing to help people that are going through that, something like that and 
it's people aren't talking about it publicly. I mean, how, how what's your advice to people that aren't, aren't seeing things, but is there, is an education? How do you solve that? How do you solve it so that you could have gotten help right at the beginning? Yeah. Um, first off, like we didn't have an HR department when this was all happening. Right. The person we go to was our general manager who was being influenced by our head coach. Um, so having an HR apartment is super important and having a place where players and athletes feel like they can go to. Um, we also didn't have a sports psychologist or a therapist or anything to help us during these situations. Um, I had to go seek it out myself and pay for it out of pocket. And so always providing that as a service, um, I think is incredibly important. Uh, it doesn't matter if you are a business person and you're in the business world, or if you're an athlete, like we all have, like you said, our trials and tribulations. And sometimes, you know, we don't know when the straw is going to break the camel's back. We all like have a certain threshold. And once we hit it, you like, you, you don't ever want to hit that point where you're breaking. Um, so always being on top of it. Um, so probably learning about prevention of the breaking and just setting your organization up for success. Do you have right now curiosity? Do you have with the uh, courage? Do you have in-house capabilities to, to, do you have mental health experts? Do you have clinicians that, that work with, you know, you and your teammates, uh, on an as needed basis? Uh, yes. Now after the article came out and then, we came forward, a bunch of other players kind of talked about their problems with their coach. And turns out the one coach that we had in our league that was on my team was not the only coach that was abusing players sexually or verbally in a lot of senses. So um, a lot of stuff got uncovered about our league and we had to clean house. And it was also like a huge eye opener that every single club organization needs to make sure that there is at least one sports psychologist or therapist in some way available for players. Let me ask you this, a little bit off the topic uh, that we have here is our flow. Um, uh, Cause it's come up with, with conversations I've had out there in my, in my uh, on balance business and uh, talking to athletic directors and people from the mental health world. Um, you know, the ability for the coach to understand that, you know, you have the, the knee and the, and the ankles and the shoulders and all the other things that, you know, you, you need to keep healthy and you need to proactively keep, keep healthy so you can perform at your best. Um, wouldn't it be great if we could educate the coaches so they could understand that you, you, you need to have the same, you know, thing up top uh, that, you know, the mind and the body go hand in hand? Right. And so when your knees bothering you, uh, you get treatment, right? You know, you address it, you get treatment. So wouldn't it be great if all the coaches could understand that when something goes going on up here that go get treatment, right. And, and, and get ahead of it. Um, just seems to me, and look, you know, uh, there are coaches, as you know, that do understand it. Um, and, and, and probably, you know, this, this world needs uh, just more of them. Um, and hopefully with time that comes, let me talk a little bit about, um, uh, I was talking to your dad about it the other day, who is, is very, very, very proud of you. And 
Um, but but you're, as you know, your dad's very pragmatic. But you know, you you you, you know, you you weren't highly recruited. Um, you 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 were not drafted. Um, you tried out. Uh, the Courage had one open spot. Um, to your great credit, you went and made it. Right. You know, you one spot. You know that talk about supply and demand. You know, <laughs> how how many people trying out for that one spot, and you made the team. Um, and you worked, you know, I, I understand, you know, yeah, look, you couldn't get where you are without obviously a great work ethic um, and a competitive mentality uh, to be, you know, to be a professional soccer, to be a professional athlete in any sport. But, you know, you're in a very competitive environment. I mean, I, I, I had daughters who played it. I mean, you know, the, 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 the volume that move into this little funnel, um, you know, I have a lot of respect for it. So, um, uh, along this journey, um, and, and it is a, it's something that I've talked to other uh, guests about, what, what is your perspective on, you know, the media use it? I, it's something that was talked about even in my day on, you know, uh, mental toughness, right? What, what, what's your perspective on what that word means to you? Um, I think it's changed over the years when I was in club. I didn't really have many problems. I was the person that was always the fittest. I played all the time. I did go through an injury, but like even that didn't really feel like a setback. So it starts with all the little compounding things, I think, that become a problem or one really, really big one that causes you a lot of anguish. Um, so mental toughness is kind of being able to be resilient through multiple hardships um, and, and come out on the other side, just knowing that, you know, all your, like every hard thing that you've ever gone through is now in the past. Um, obviously you might be in the middle of one right now, but when you think back to something that was causing you so many problems and so much suffering, is it something that you still think about? And, um, the way that I've kind of started changing my outlook has been less science-based and more kind of hippie-based. <laughs> and well, it can was... Can you describe that? <laughs> um, yeah. I. It's really like this one person that I follow. His name is Peter Crone. And he just comes from such a place of, you know, it, it very like hippie in terms of Peace and there harmony. are no problems in the world it's just how you are reflecting or seeing those problems um and like i just everything he says i'm like yeah i i can totally see that i have just come to really embody when there is something that comes up and i think my favorite quote that has come about so many times now for me and when i question myself is um if it's not life-threatening it's ego-threatening so then I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not being chased by a saber-toothed tiger anymore. Right, right. I, I never, I never was. Right. But why am I having these heart palpitations, or why does my like chest feel like it's a thousand pounds? And it's because my ego's having something happen to it, and uh, I have to just kind of like take a step back and put things into perspective, um, which I think has just helped so much. That's interesting. So, I mean, you know, mental toughness and mental strength. I, I do personally, I think that um, within the world of mental health, 
especially in the competitive world that, that you're in and in the competitive world I'm in with my business, you know, mental strength is part of mental health, in my opinion. And you go about it in a way that I think is interesting. And, and I actually understand what you just said. It's really, in a lot of ways, somewhat intellectualizing um, what really is going through, you're going through, as you use an example, nobody's chasing you with, you know, long fangs and a, and a dagger, right? It's, it's internal, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you manage that internally? So, yeah, I mean, I, look, I mean, I, I think that's one of the great things about what's happening uh, within the world um, and not just athletics where people, uh, especially from a generational standpoint, they're getting educated on things to help them, you know, from a, you know, a coping perspective, right? You know, the, yeah. the education and, you know, meditation and behavioral activities that can help calm you down, put things in perspective, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's never been greater than it is today. Um, and yeah. so that's, that's a beautiful thing. Um, I have one last question that I ask uh, all my podcast guests and uh, I, I really enjoy getting some of these uh, answers. Um, in your very interesting journey, uh, who has been most inspirational to you so far? I've named them both. Um, it's one, my dad. He was the one that opened the door to me not feeling crazy and that I'm not alone. Um, so thank you, dad. And the other person is Peter Crone. Um, and like, obviously, I don't know him personally. I just follow some of the podcasts that he's been on. Um, but the like one thing that's always stuck out to me, and it this is the one thing that's really changed my perspective and how I will think things through, is my boyfriend was one day saying he wanted to go, he was going to go pick up dinner. And so we ordered food that we were going to go pick up. And he was like, yeah, I got time. I'll go pick it up. Then there was some work crisis. He got an email and he like, he was like, Kaylee, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to be able to pick up dinner. And so I'm on the way to pick up the dinner and I am fuming and I'm like, okay, I need to take a step back. Why am I so angry with this? And I, it was that realization of, oh, well, I expected this and now this was the outcome. But in reality, like he would have done it. He just had something else come up for work that became more important at the time than going to picking up the food. So it just was taking a step back and really going through the steps of, okay, I shouldn't be this mad at him for having something that he cannot control happening at work that he now has to step in and try and fix. And I am now having to do something. So it was that expectation versus reality. And then just trying to navigate that and the feelings that it was arising. Um, and Peter Cronin kind of talks about that in the layering of think things through, like, why are you feeling this way? Sit with the emotion. It's okay to have those emotions, but like they shouldn't by him not being able to pick up food should not have caused me that much anguish. Um, so putting a little bit of humor on it as well. It's kind of changed that. Levity is, levity is important. Uh, laughter and levity and keeping your sense of humor and, not taking yourself too serious. Well, you're fortunate that you've had, well, one one person that, I mean, very fortunate to have a father and a parent that had that um, that effect on you uh, in a very positive way and, you know, non-judgmental and, again, trying to help you 
intellectualize, you know, the realities of what you're going through emotionally. And, you know, to have the muse, it sounds like you have a muse in this, uh, Peter Crone. Uh, uh, (laughs) So you're, you're fortunate to have found that as well. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, that, you know, it's, uh, Pretty interesting, and, and I don't think it's coincidental that you play for a team called The Courage. Um, you <laughs> certainly showed a lot of that throughout your you know journey so far, You know, um, both as a young person as well as where you are today. And uh, based on um, the conversation here and everything I've heard from your dad, I, I assume it's just going to keep getting better and better and better as you, as you go through the next chapters, right? So thank I you, Kaylee. So. Thank you so much for joining us. And, and thank you really for, because look, I do, I do believe um, the things that you talk about here um, help other people. And um, certainly, you know, within our audience base, uh, and it's a mixture of, you know, athletes and people that are interested in this space that, um, you know, it's inspiring. You know, somebody that's, you know, had success, it wasn't handed to them right? You had to, you had to work to get it. And, uh, you had some tough times and you managed through it and you're, you're probably still managing through it, but you know, you know how to manage through it. So congratulations. And thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And thank you for creating a space where I was able to speak about it. (laughs) Really amazing. I want to, I want to, within that, you know, uh, speaking for both of us, I want to thank you everybody that, um, that, that follows this and they're going to listen and and watch this. Um, you know, we are striving to bring greater awareness, um, to athletes and their mental health challenges. And let's, uh, let's all work together and end this stigma and keep this conversation going. Um, be well, everybody. This is Walt Norley, and this has been Athletes on Balance. for joining us for this episode of Athletes on Balance. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please follow us on your preferred podcast app to catch our next episode. Join our community by sharing with an athlete, mental health care provider, or coach in your circle.